Hello, everyone. Welcome to Counseling Conversations with Christine and Carmel, brought to you by the Illinois Counseling Association. And we are your co-hosts, Christine Barker, LCPC, and Carmel Brown, LCPC. And thank you for joining our conversation about all things counseling, where we aim to encourage, enlighten, and empower mental health professionals. Our mission is to connect, inform, support and direct mental health professionals in the state of Illinois to improve the quality and value of the mental health field. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Counseling Conversations with Christina Carmel, brought to you by the Illinois Counseling Association. And we have Kyle, Dr. Goodwin, joining us today. So welcome him to our podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about our experiences in the counseling field, specifically private practice, but in the field in general as licensed clinicians. Thanks, Carmel. Um, Yes, so welcome Dr. Goodwin. We're so excited to have him as an additional host on our show. Um, So you'll be getting lots of him coming in the future. So um, look out for Dr. Goodwin. Do you wanna start and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yay! Thank you both. I'm honored to join you all on this journey as a co-host with the podcast for ICA. Um, I'm excited to just come here and connect with you all and also future um, interviewees for for the podcast. Um, Yes, I'm a licensed clinical professional counselor here in the state of Illinois, as well as a counselor educator. Um, And I teach and work um, in higher ed, um, educating master's level clinicians um, to become licensed counselors in our field. So thank you both for welcoming me here. I really appreciate it. No, we're so excited to have you as part of our part of our little our little family here, a little counseling family. Um, So we're all uh, involved in the ICA in the Illinois Counseling Association, which is how we all have gotten to know each other. Um, and Dr. Goodwin is the, oh my goodness, I'm going to probably butcher, you're the chair of the public relations committee, right? Right. Yes. Yes. Okay. And, um, I'm the chair of the membership committee and Carmel is the president of help me, help me. The Lewis and Clark chapter. Lewis and Clark chapter. Amazing Lewis and Clark chapter. <laughs> and yes, so okay. you're regional as well, right? regional yes as a region rep yes absolutely yeah oh my goodness I'm so sorry I flaked on that one um so we're all very involved in the ICA and so as we've been talking you know about the podcast and and getting more involved and who we're interviewing and things like that uh we thought it was a good idea that people get to know us a little bit which I also think is a great idea because uh these through the three of us here, we have some awesome personalities and I'm not sure our listeners probably know about our awesome personalities because we're always interviewing people with awesome personalities. So we wanted to tell you all a little bit about ourselves today as well. Uh, Kyle, well, I'm sure we'll get into our journeys. Um, mm-hmm. I think I said before in previous podcasts, I am a licensed clinical professional counselor, Christine Barker. Um, I am a co-founder of Inner Courage Counseling. Um, so I have a couple of locations of private practice. I've been in the field for about 14 years, um, been in private practice for most of that. 
and kind of branching off into some other projects. I actually do also teach, um, I'm an adjunct professor at Lewis University. This is my first semester doing this. So this is not, uh, this is new for me and it's a really cool experience, but I'm really excited to be doing that. Um, and there's some other just kind of passion projects I supervise. Um, I do some consulting on the side and um, I'm sure we'll get into all of our journeys eventually, but that's me. Yeah, yeah, all right. Well, uh, my name is Carmel and I am a licensed clinical professional counselor as well. And I am the owner of uh, York Exhilarating Life Therapy Services. And uh, I uh, do so many different things with ICA. I don't think I need to get into every role uh, outside of the podcast, you know, executive committee, uh, governing council and, and such, um, in addition to president of the Lewis and Clark chapter uh, and I really just enjoy being a clinician. I truly do. I'm in private practice and I've worked in other capacities and I truly do enjoy private practice. You have so many things going on, Carmel. Like you do so many things. Every time I talk to you and you tell me a story about like, oh yeah, I got a phone call to do, you know, consulting for X. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, how mm -hmm. do you do all these things? Um, but I think like as you know, I guess we could even say clinicians, but also kind of entrepreneurial spirit, like we kind of like different things. And I think as counselors, we're attracted to different, mm -hmm. whether that be different issues, different kinds of clients, different kinds of therapies, like it keeps us our mind going and it keeps us kind of on our toes to like be exploring different things all the time. I know that's how I am. Mm -hmm. I always am like coming up with new ideas or new theories or I'm going to try something different or I want to go take a new training and like you know I always get really excited about learning new things yeah yeah certainly you know I really believe in treating the entire person the whole person and I believe if we only focus on mental health then we're probably setting our clients up for failure mental health obviously should be at the forefront of what we do uh, but there's so many other layers to a human being. And so I've always had a business model, so to speak, in which I believe that fitness and nutrition or physical health uh, is just as important as mental health. In addition to that, having meaningful work, which is what I call business and career. And I also believe that self-care is really important learning how to maintain balance and set boundaries and all those things, and also enjoy leisurely things. And I've also believed that interpersonal relationships is something that's really important for a person to be well or to have a good quality of life. So that's another leg of the business model that I, that I tend to um, work towards and from. And then the last one is uh, self-esteem and confidence, because say your, your symptoms are manageable, and you're doing well physically and you have maintained or you've established those relationships and you're in meaningful work, if your self-esteem and your confidence isn't up to par, you're really at risk of ruining those things that you've worked so hard to acquire. So those are the, the legs or the layers of my business models. Hence, um, the reason why I've gotten involved in many of the things that I'm involved with, I'm on the board for the Small Business Development Center at SIUE. So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, superwoman. <laughs> superwoman. So that's like that's the business and career component. Um, I have a a team, a small group of ladies uh, called the Marriage Task Force, and uh, we do a lot of stuff with married couples. We kind of let other people see that marriage is fun. It can be fun, and it can be healthy. And so that's that interpersonal relationship component. 
And, um, you know, I could go on and on about all the other things that I do. I won't because we might be here for a while. And some <laughs> of those things aren't work related things. They're just fun things that I do. You know, they're leisurely things and uh, social things that I do. Mm -hmm. Don't kill me. I'm going to blow up your Facebook right now. If, <laughs> if you're not friends with Carmel on Facebook, she has like an inspirational thing that she posts every day. Um, my favorite one from you was a couple of days ago. It, and it sounds so simple. And we all know like mental health is not this simple, but it was such a, it was like very refreshing to like think in this way. Um, you said life is good. Be anxious for nothing. Keep your priorities intact. Maintain healthy balance. Watch the company you keep. Live free. And I don't know. It was so like, oh, I love this. I was so it. It felt like a breath of fresh air. And I, you know, kind of scroll through all all of your posts, and I'm like, you're so positive. Like you always have a really good message. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that your professional life reflects that as well. Oh well, thank you, thank you. I believe Christine is a fan, Carmel. Uh, I'm a fan. <laughs> well, I like all of her posts. <laughs> the reciprocity so is there. So likewise. Yeah. No, but it's you're so motivational and inspiring. It's so great to like see that displayed in your family and all your great pictures of your family. And you can really tell where your priorities are. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's awesome. I think from myself, unlike my, my peers here, I am not business, business savvy. I prefer teaching and working at a private practice. Yet, as Carmel mentioned, treating the person as a whole is very important to me as well. So my areas for counseling a, an individual or a family is focusing on the, the mental, spiritual, the emotional, and the physical, um, very much so about how their live culture impacts them in all those areas. And and typically when I'm talking with clients or even communicating with peers, I, I talk about the holistic with the W and what that means to to approach a person as the wholeness of whom they are as a, as a person. And, and it's a beautiful process. I mean, that's the existential piece or part of myself um, is very much so focusing on how that person view themselves, others in the world. And that's where we start. And it's a, a, a beautiful journey to experience as a clinician. Um, but for myself, um, I enjoy teaching and doing the research piece and, and talking to people. I, I very much so, you all may not notice this, I dislike public speaking um, years and years ago. Really? And I still have this underlying issue of anxiousness of public, publicly speaking, but I feel as if when I'm teaching and speaking, people actually listen and <laughs> <laughs> you are very captivating. You, yeah, and right, you have a a very soothing voice too. Yes, thank you. Yeah, I'm. I'm sometimes I'm talking and I'm like, okay, are they listening to me or are they falling asleep or what is happening? <laughs> like, how is going to be this? Oh, he's going to be when he gets older. This like philosopher, you know, I can see him being a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like he. He, you could give like meditations, like you could mm. not publicly, you could like make an app. See, this is me with the, I mean, I'm the idea person. Okay. Here's your million dollar idea. You do have a beautiful, soothing voice and this wonderful essence. Make like a meditation that you sell to like the calm app or whatever mm -hmm. with you say, like with some of your own philosophy and your own existentialism, your whole part, I bet you, you could 
little side gig for you. You're welcome. Thank 10%. You. 10%. I'll get you the gig. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though, like it's your essence, Dr. Goodwin. It's your essence. Thank you, Christine. So wonderful. I appreciate it. I think that viewers don't know that um, I've known Christine for a bit over seven years now. And as it's an clinician, yeah, while I was in my master's program for grad school, she has been a part of that that journey as well. And so I would say I wouldn't be whom I am as Dr. Goodwin without also meeting Christine Barker throughout that that process. So oh, isn't she amazing? Isn't she, she lovely? Oh, isn't, isn't she, she wonderful? wonderful? <laughs> I got you to sing on the podcast. That was my goal, wasn't it? I was like, you have to sing on the podcast. Yay. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, thank you both. That was very sweet. I was more into the singing and you two kind of harmonizing together. It was beautiful. Yeah. Thanks. Well, you know, maybe not so much, but hey, I enjoyed it anyway. <laughs> so you might hear Dr. Goodwin poking at me a little bit because we've known each other for a long time and uh, I'm excited for our trio here because Carmel and I feel like we've been going back for a long time, even though we've only met, I don't even think it's been a year, maybe a year ago we met. Just a little over uh, a year. I think we met last year yeah. in maybe July. Yeah, I don't remember when it was, but um, yeah, I mean, but Fire it feels August. just like it clicks so well, which is why we started doing this in the first place. Yeah, certainly, certainly. We have I fun. Feel like all three of us just naturally have this amazing relationship, like immediately as we've met one another. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And it's hard to find that, you know, um, and, and really harness it into something that's like helpful and productive for our, you know, field and stuff which is just an incredible opportunity that we've had with the ICA so thank you to them so much for allowing us to a space to talk about uh things that we all feel passionate about um, yeah sorry my dog is right here and I'm petting her so she, so she'll go back to her bed pet therapy <laughs> pet therapy works right <laughs> yeah <laughs> I wish I could yeah I wish I could do that with her yeah. Well, now. you know, uh, Dr. Goodwin, you said that you have some anxiety surrounding public speaking. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to just kind of speak to that real quick, because I think most people do. Even some of the best public speakers probably experience that whenever they're speaking. I have spoken publicly numerous times, and I still get nervous whenever I do it. Um, and I always just try and focus on the content. And uh, there's also some some preparation things that I do um, on those days uh, that I am speaking. Ooh, do you and, have like pump up music? Oh my goodness! I tell me your pump up jams. Well, you know, we'd be here all day if I told you all my pump up jams. Oh. <laughs> yeah, How about me, work, 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 just work, like, Rihanna? Oh, good. <laughs> good one. But uh, no, I, but to, to be honest, on days when I am speaking publicly, I don't really listen to the pump up jams that I listen to before I start seeing my clients. Actually, what I do in the mornings, now, if I work out, which I try to, I listen to some upbeat music then, but I get up, I do kind of like a detox thing. I drink my warm lemon water. Then I work out, listen to pump up music then. Then I go home and I start kind of winding it down. I don't drink caffeine before I speak publicly. I drink hot tea instead mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. like a herbal tea, something that's calming. And I make sure I have a good breakfast. I make sure that I'm hydrated because dehydration can be an issue with regards to cognition. 
if you are not careful. So I make sure that that's a thing. And then the other thing is when I'm on my way driving, I listen to meditation music in the car going to those Just thinking that. Yeah. So that whenever I get there, I'm calm. I'm not, you know, elevated with regards to my thought process and my heart rate. So yeah. Oh, uh, I'm like the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> the opposite. Although now I'm thinking about it going, Dr. Goodwin, can you record a meditation for before I have to public speak? Because that, that would be very helpful. And to hear your soothing voice would be I'm telling you, I think there's something in this. <laughs> we should do this. Deal you can make one for Carmel. We'll just start it, start it with Carmel and see if it if it's helpful for her and then we'll sell yeah. it to the calm map. <laughs> and and that's the thing with people in our field nowadays. Uh you should be prepared to be uh in a in a position where you are able to speak publicly sometimes because mm -hmm. it's needed. Uh and uh and no, more than ever in our field of work because the the masses have to be educated on mental health because we, we failed to do that historically. And so now we're just trying to get our society caught up with mental health and what should be expected, um, approaches and strategies to managing mental health. I'm talking a lot to employers about how to manage mental health in the workplace and things like that. So um, anxiety or not, we have to learn to manage our symptoms as we teach other people to manage theirs, correct? Yes, that's very much so true, Carmel. I think for me in speaking, it's the fear of being misunderstood or appearing inadequate. Just, mm -hmm. I think that's just natural, like feelings and emotions that come up. But I also have my own uh, similar routine, which is drinking hot water with lemon and honey. Um, or having some form of fruit in the cup for my throat while speaking. Um, and in the morning before going to speak, I literally put on, for me, it's worship music or some form of sermon that is motivating, uh, which gets me in the mood to just just be serene and at peace. Um, but the nervousness is just natural. Um, and also having a very, very much so balanced breakfast. Yeah. 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 Eating is huge. I've really realized that. Mm -hmm. So like teaching is new for me. I've never done that before. And it was something that was kind of always on my bucket list. I always was wondering about it. And so when I got an opportunity to do that, I took it because I was like, oh, this might, this might be it, right? Like I just want to try it, see how it goes. And I think maybe my first class, like I, I was so nervous. I wasn't hungry and I, it's at night, like the class is at night. And so I didn't eat anything and I was so nervous and it was like, like, I almost like had fatigue. Like I, I couldn't, I wasn't like focused. I couldn't concentrate. I never realized like how much, like what you're both saying, eating nutritious things, drinking and hydrating really can affect like your own balance and like the way that you are presenting um, and just for me, I just, I think I like blacked out after like, I like came to the end of the, the class and I was like, oh my gosh, I hope that was good because I don't even, I'm not really sure what just happened. Didn't have like a clear line and just timing. I've heard that with a lot of therapists too, like how important it is to time when you're eating and like almost timing that too. And you probably have to play with this, right? Depending on how your body is and your metabolism and your brain and like all of that. But like when you have intent, like an intense day of clients or an intense mm -hmm. day of meetings or something, like it's easy to forget to drink and eat. And 
like the timing of that is really important to make sure that you're like maintaining that cognitive function, Carmel, like you were saying, um, as I'm looking at my, my cup here going, oh, I only drank like 20 ounces of water today. Let's all take a drink. Mm. Yep. Cheers. 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 I love the honey lemon water. I gotta try that. You guys are so fancy. Well, I either do lemon or lime. Some mornings I do lime. Um, mm. So yeah, it's good for just kind of detoxing the body before you get your day started. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go back to what Kyle said about, if that's okay, about the imposter, like you didn't say imposter syndrome, but I'm going to say imposter syndrome because I have definitely felt that like when you're public speaking, I'm like, oh my gosh, who am I to like, that's the first thing I thought when they asked me to teach, I was like, why would you want me to do that? <laughs> like, why me? <laughs> Christine Barker. <laughs> but it's it, that's like real in us and i love that we could like having this space to be vulnerable like i'm sure how many other counselors feel the same way like yeah whether you're a, a, an early career clinician or you're an experienced clinician and you never know what's going to walk through your door or what's going to be presented that day and you know i think we all have that to a degree in certain areas um and we should talk about it, you know? Yeah. Imposter syndrome is real. I, I would say even as an educator showing up in the classroom, I think to myself sometimes, like, Kyle, are you sure you should be here? What are you doing? I'm not sure if they're really listening to you. But that's just my internal voice being negative. And so I try and remember to challenge that negative internal voice. Yeah. Um, and then remember to myself, like, yo, bro, you earn your seat at the table. They're here yes, to did. learn from you. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 You have to remind yourself. I certainly have had to do this for myself as well. Reminding myself that I'm the expert. You know, I literally have to pump myself up like Carmel. Are you kidding me? You've spoken to the Centers for Disease Control. Four times, you know, the yeah. Environmental Protection Agency, three times, the you know, the Social Security Administration, seven times, and going on down the list, Amron, three times, and no matter, you know, I'll come up with 30 different scenarios in which proves, I always look for evidence and proof to support whatever thoughts I'm having mm -hmm. about, about me, about the experience. And I also look for proof and evidence contrary to what negative thoughts I might be having. So if I'm thinking that I'm I'm not qualified or I'm I'm not prepared or or something like that, I always remind myself that um, you know, there's some contradiction there because you've done this plenty of times and you did a great job. You have the evaluations to prove it from various entities and so you have established yourself as an expert and so go do what you do girl yeah that's <laughs> awesome you know the the kind of ironic thing about this conversation too is i this so this was probably 10 years ago was asked to write an article about imposter syndrome for like a mental health website and it was just a small like independent you know person that was kind of doing it themselves and found me or whatever and i was like yeah sure and i started writing it and having imposter syndrome about writing the article about imposter syndrome you're like oh no this is me i was like i don't know what am i supposed to say how to combat imposter syndrome? i don't know because i'm having it right now like i don't know you know <laughs> as i'm writing this article so i started researching because that's kind of my coping mechanism when I feel insecure or incompetent, I start researching so that I 
feel like I know what I'm talking about. Right. So then I found all these like really cool ways actually to like combat, combat quote unquote, um, imposter syndrome. And one of them, which I was like, I kind of do this now. Um, so kind of like how you cope with that, you're kind of reminding yourself you're an expert on the, along those lines, Carmel was like the, they have, they say, make yourself a brag book. So whether that's like a book or an envelope or a box, right. Of like, like Carmel, you were saying like, these are the, these are the places that I have spoken at, right. Like make a list, make a, make, put frame it somewhere. Right. These are my degrees, Kyle, like this, I have a degree in, you know, I have a PhD, like, you know, Mm -hmm. a symposium I spoke at, this is a article that I wrote. This is, you know, and, um, I did a speaking once, and this is so funny. I did a speaking once for like an eighth graders on like what counselor, what a counselor is for a career. And they all wrote me like little notes afterwards and they mailed it to me, which was so sweet. I kept it. That's my brag book. Thank you, Miss Barker. It was so great to hear about what you do. Right. And I, and I have it in the envelope, like in my desk that sometimes every now and then I'll pull out and was like, Oh yeah, I did, you know, and even though it's not, you know, maybe the highest achievement in the world, I think that idea of like a brag book or like having a place to go to, to remind you, like you were saying of, of what your achievements have been, what you're good at. Like, even when those clients that come to you and say, thank you so much, this was so helpful. Like write that down, you know, like, yeah, I, this was, you know, even if you don't have no identifying information, but those things are helpful. And especially in a profession that's not real thankful, like people aren't coming to you at teacher appreciation day and giving you a gift card and saying, thank you. You know, <laughs> Kyle's like, well, they do for me. Well, good. That's good. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've not gotten that yet. No, but I'm saying like, we don't get a lot of like, wow, you did a great job. Like, yeah. you know, from our clients. So it's, it, we have to hang on to those things, you know, the little comments, like, mm-hmm. you know, the five-year-old client that made you a Christmas card or whatever, like those things, you know, help are helpful. That that's what has helped me at least. Yeah. What I'm hearing is be your own cheerleader. I'm going to get some pom-poms. Give me a C. <laughs> <laughs> I have a C right behind me. Hold on. But you do, you know, because it, it is great when other people can do that for you, but we're kind of in a lonely profession. So imposter syndrome happens so often to us and can happen behind closed doors. And, you know, it's important to remind ourselves that we have something worth that's worthy, you know, to give. Yeah. And for those of you that are listening, we are talking about this because we decided that there are so many different capacities in which we work and perform as clinicians. And sometimes we do question our own capabilities and a lot of people rely on us. And so it's important for us to be vulnerable and transparent for you guys and kind of know what some of our challenges have been, because we would imagine that you guys can relate to most of the things we're saying. And so we just wanted to give you some stuff to think about and to know that you're not alone. And some of the things that you doubt about yourself that we have as well, we have or do as well. And uh, we, we do so many things in our, in our field. I mean, we do EAP work, critical incidents and stress management, uh, teaching, of course, uh, speaking engagements, not to mention individual uh, therapy. We do group work, family. So we work in multiple capacities. And so that does leave a lot of room for that self-doubt. 
Yeah. And speaking of self-doubt, I think one of the things that I want to bring up into the podcast is burnout. As Carmel was listing all of the different facets of whom we are as clinicians, immediately I thought about, okay, burnout is a good uh, segue um, to bring up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, certainly. We're actually having a burnout uh, workshop in our chapter here soon. So uh, because it's it's needed. Uh, so anybody. Oh, that, what are you doing? Uh, so we have uh, two clinicians in our area uh, from a another chapter, another uh, practice counselors and associates. They're going to be presenting uh, at one of their offices through uh, the ICA. ICA. Yeah, no. that's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I would go first in, in regards to the burnout because I think that for me, <laughs> I've experienced uh, so much burnout um, as a novice clinician in the field, and even along the way, years and years, because you're not only navigating clients' emotional uh, baggage or or issues or challenges, but yet also you're living your own life, and mm-hmm. so those things have they 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 emerge with one another and it is difficult sometimes to not to avoid burnout um and so I would say my body taught me very much so in regards to burnout because there was a time where as I was in uh graduate school studying for my PhD also working and doing group counseling for um, partner of use perpetrators right as well as seeing clients at a private practice being a graduate assistant, all of the things. And I would say one day I end up just saying, all right, I think I need to go to the emergency room because my heart, it feels as if it is like having a heart attack. I'm sweating, I'm shaking, I feel weak. And I get to the emergency room, they check me in, they do an EKG, they test my blood and all the things. And the doctor said, everything is fine. Nothing's wrong with you. What's going on? And, and he told me that I was stressed and immediately I knew I, I had burnout and I saw the the small symptoms show up prior to, but I was like, all right, you're a gangster. You're good. You, you're getting this PhD. Everything's going to be all right. You're, you're about to be Dr. Goodwin, but no. <laughs> Your body was <laughs> like, quickly. yeah, it's so yeah. interesting. Yeah. So did what did they say it was stress related or like panic related? related? Yeah, stress related. They did offer to give me some anti-anxiety meds, but he's like, I just can't do anything for you. Your your blood, my blood pressure was great. Everything was fine with the normal range. And it was it was just me. I was experiencing a lot of grief at the time, as as you know, Christine. And then also all of the other things of providing space for other people. Um, yeah, I learned and I did let go of those, um, a few form of those, uh, employments and, you know, side gigs that I was doing. I was just trying to do everything out of survival, um, and just trying to keep busy in the midst of COVID because mm. everything was falling apart around me. And that was my form of control, but yeah. Yeah. So vulnerable. Thank you. That's, mm-hmm. I, yeah. It's it's incredible that you like can see those things too. Like, oh, this was my form of trying to control. And really just what I needed to do is let go of some of the, all the things. Like, I don't need all the things to prove to myself that I can, whatever, fill in the blank. Yeah. Right. yeah. 
Right. And you should really only be doing all those things because you enjoy it, not because you're trying to prove something or just because you can. Uh, and then listening to your body. And, uh, you know, sometimes you have to realize that you're not a machine. <laughs> you're a human being. And knowing what your personal warning signs are, the same thing that we tell our clients, guys, right? You know, mm -hmm. what, what are the warning signs that you're headed for disaster? Kyle, what were your warning signs? What what I would say, I would I would say from what you just stated, I really appreciate it and, and enjoyed everything that I was doing. It wasn't a matter of trying to to prove to anything, anything to anyone in the field, even neither to myself. It was just like, all right, these are things that I like doing because of chaos was happening around me. I wanted to hold on to those things. Mm. But I would say my warning signs was the lack of sleep that was mm. happening. Or if I was sleeping, the jumping, so like the nervous, like mm -hmm. the kind of ticks, um, maybe not eating an adequate meal as I typically do. Um, trust me, I love to eat, but <laughs> <laughs> those things were reducing. And I would say another warning sign was just not feeling, um, finding interest, like the adon is it adenonia or what, what is the name Ad of it? Ad Hedonia. Yeah. Finding no longer finding interest in the things that I, I loved any longer. Um, so those were those warning signs. But I ignore them because I'm like, oh, I'm a clinician. I'll be fine. You know, yeah. Let me go. Oh, you got caught in the out. trap of like, I'm a therapist, so I don't need therapy. Yeah. Don't get caught in that trap. Right. I just ended my relationship with my therapist. Mm. And, um, yeah. 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 So are, are we are we in the circle of trust here? Because I want to. I feel like being vulnerable and telling you guys my my uh, warning signs. Sure, sure. Yes. So if I ever tell you this, that means <laughs> you two know I'm not in a good place. So the, when I don't when I don't want to wash my hair, and it's so weird, right? But like it feels exhausting, kind of kind of like what you were saying about the, I don't have interest in doing the same things or whatever. I mean, I will be like in the shower and just standing in the shower because I don't want to lift my arms above my head because it feels like too much work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like literally that's where, that's what my signal is. I'm like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't chat. You know, I didn't want to wash my hair. And I mean, I go a couple of days anyway without doing that, but if I actively am like, I need to, and I don't want to, like, that is my burnout signal. That's one of my signals that like, I am too tired to even think about the process of doing this and like physically doing it, you know? Okay. Yeah. Literally then you have the weight okay. of the, the world on your shoulders and you don't want to raise your arms up. <laughs> that is like a perfect metaphor is like, mm -hmm. I, I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I think for me, well, it's, your turn. I think for me, it's uh, isolation. You know, whenever mm -hmm. I'm isolating myself and because I want to do all the things and get all the stuff done, I'm isolating myself to get stuff done, but I'm not really as productive as I typically am. So those are, are two warning signs for me. Um, productivity goes down, isolation goes up. I'd have mm -hmm. to agree with you. I think my isolation for me too because I mean in my my all the different roles that I have involves talking to people on a pretty much 24 7 basis that when I start feeling and, I, and I'll talk about this with my therapist too like 
I just want to run away by myself. Like I want to go to a deserted island by myself and just sit there by myself for like 48 hours. And that's very opposite of my personality for everyone who knows me. So when I start feeling like that and I start noticing like the isolation, but maybe in smaller, like it might not be so obvious to people, but like, I won't text people back for a while. Cause it's, you know, again, that whole, like, Oh, another thing I have to do, or, you know, my, you know, my mom, I hope she's not listening to this. My mom calls, I'm going, Oh, I'll call her back tomorrow or I'll call her back the next day. Or, you know, like those, the social interactions that feel very difficult when normally I enjoy those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the isolation for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, let's plan that trip to the island, Christine. You can stay on one <laughs> side, I'll stay on the other. We don't need to communicate. It's okay. I'm good with that. You got <laughs> one over there, a little hotel over there. I got a hotel over here. We'll see you. I, like I was, I think about it. Like I want to go to dinner just by myself. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to anyone. Um, but as long as it can be a Hawaiian island, because I've never been, so I'd like to go there. Just bucket list. <laughs> and and you guys mentioned uh, seeing a therapist. I think that's something else that we should briefly talk about. Being a therapist and seeing a therapist and the importance of that. Um, I always say, if you are struggling to manage everything, to manage symptoms, moods, um, you're not at your best and you won't see a therapist, then you don't believe in the work that we do. Mm-hmm. Agreed. 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 I love my therapist. I love going to therapy. I love telling people I go to therapy. It's like one hour, just like 60 straight minutes that I get to look at myself and like focus on just myself, you know, and how I'm feeling and have kind of a, a space that feels safe to do that and explore that. Yeah. I miss going to therapy. I think now I'm picky about going to therapy because I'm a counselor educator. So I'm like, I teach people how to be clinicians. Um, mm, we'll see about it. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I'm, it gets harder, yeah, right? It like, does get as harder, you, for sure. it, as you either kind of like pivot into different positions or like, mm-hmm. yeah, like I was like, I, I wanted to go back to therapy too. Um, mid COVID, I think it'd been a couple of years. And I was like, I need to go. But it was okay. I run, I'm a, a group practice owner. Like, I can't go to one of the people's practices that I'm like friends with or that I know or let know me or like, you know, mm-hmm. it got, it did like the, cir- the circle, the pool got a little bit smaller. Um, and it is, it gets hard to, it's hard to find a good match too. Like, I'm a big believer in fit. I'll talk about that all the time that I think fit is really important in the therapeutic relationship. Um, and how do you know? You know, how do you know that this person's going to be a good fit for you? And you gotta, you gotta try, I guess, you know, try them out a little bit, but it's hard to know that too. Yeah. You start out with the profile and it doesn't always give you a a true picture. Um, And because sometimes people aren't staying on top of just knowing what's current, what's, what no longer is relevant in therapy, um, knowing what our societal issues are and current events and issues, things like that are really important. You know, if there's some antiquated approach to therapy that's kind of stale and ineffective, but they have this great bio, you know, that's certainly not going to work. But I always tell people, don't be afraid to switch therapists. You know, I don't yeah. like the word fire your therapist because it's not firing. It's just 
I thought we might be a good fit. You have the right to remove yourself. And if your therapist is upset about that, they certainly weren't the best therapist for you. Um, you know, that you shouldn't feel as though you need to stay in that relationship um, in that with that provider if it's not working for you. I think this is such a great topic to talk about for therapists, like finding their own therapist yeah. um, and like what to look for. I mean, cause it's kind of different. Right. But I, I agree that every therapist should go to therapy or at least experience that once in their life. Um, because then you have kind of a, an experience, a lived experience of what your clients are going through. And that's like how it's scary to find a therapist. And they have a list of people on psych today and they're going down the list, right? And who takes my insurance? And are they going, are they close to my house? Or do I do, you know, all the things that like our clients go through and think about before they make the call. I think that's such a valuable experience for, for people. Okay. Do you, you all know that there's like the, what is, I think psych today has like the, you can do a video of yourself now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here's a good vulnerable circle of trust and whoever's listening question. Um, like, what do you look for? in a therapist? Like, what are some things that like, do you, do you want to, do you want to watch the video in psych today? Is that something that you're like, Oh, I want to like, see how they talk and see how animated they are. You know, is that like important to you? Um, are you looking for like a level of experience or like a certain kind of therapy? I'm just curious as to like how people go about that search, like therapists, you know? Yeah. I think it's different for everyone. Wouldn't you think? Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I think it's different to each of them. about you too. Oh, you're asking us. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Since I did agree to be vulnerable here today. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would say with my first therapist, I wanted to find a clinician that first I was looking for a clinician who was a black woman, maybe just a little softer in approach. And then I had to go back and say, no, I needed to find a male clinician who has resemblance of my father so that I can work through those issues. And that's what I did. Oh, and it was the right. best experience that I had um, with my with my counselor. And I won't mention his name here, but I wish I could. But he was a great clinician. Now I am seeking a clinician who I think as I go through the criteria. I if they have a video, I want to see if their voice annoys me or not. Mm. That's one thing. And so I'll listen. I'm like, okay, they have a soothing tone or all right. No, their voice is a bit screeching. So I know I'll be a bit annoyed in session. So I'm going to pass. But that's just me being picky. But I mainly look for um, African-American therapists or Afro-Latinx individuals whom I know that I may have some commonality with. So you're looking for a video too. You're like, I want to listen to that. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I am very much so looking for a video or you can easily call and, and do a phone conference and see um, yeah. how to with that person too. Yeah. Well, so since we're being vulnerable and transparent, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's my turn to be vulnerable. Um, I have to be honest. I have never seen a therapist ever in my whole life. Um, and... No, and it's not that I don't believe in therapy at all. It's just that I have never really been in a place where I felt like I needed to. And I and I wonder if it's because 
I, I literally have, I have a really big close-knit family. Like my brothers and I, we talk so much. Like we can get on the phone at 11 o'clock at night and talk or early at five or six in the morning. Um, so I have a lot of support. And then my husband, I've been married for 25 years. I talk, I talk his ear off all the time and I bounce everything off of him. And so we're like really good friends. And then I have a couple of friends that are pastors and we're always talking about stuff with each other. And then I have a couple of really close friends. Actually, my closest friends are either pastors or therapists or some social service type of person. And I think that there's always a lot of dialogue going on and emotional support and availability going on that I really feel like I expend what I would if I were going to therapy, just in general conversation in my daily life unintentionally. It sounds like you have many therapists. <laughs> <laughs> Pro bono. <laughs> right. Pro bono therapist. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, in a different format, which is also great. And I think that's a really good point. Yeah. And my mom too. I, anytime something happens, I'm calling my mom, like mom, guess what happened? You know, no, I don't call her mom. It's mama. Guess what happened? <laughs> I'm calling my mama to tell my mama what's going on. But no, um, I, I do. And I am that for other people. You know, I a lot of people in my personal life rely on me for emotional support and availability. Mm -hmm. And I really do feel like I have a really good tight um, safety net with my friends and family members. And there's a lot of us. That's great. Yeah, I would say my what I look for. I sort of similar to Dr. Goodwin. I look for an older female <laughs> um, because, those, you know, that's kind of where some of my stuff shows up that I need to work through also. So I heard your little challenge to yourself in there, Kyle, that you did challenge yourself, which is great. And I think great, like advice, right. For other therapists is like, try to challenge yourself, right. Don't, don't necessarily go with what feels safe and comfortable, work through what feels uncomfortable about doing something, you know, not to a damaging point, of course, um, but like a challenging point. Uh, so I always have looked, gravitated towards older female therapists that, um, yeah, there's, there's probably a lot of layers there. We don't need to unpack all that vulnerability today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I do think like, um, there is kind of a, you know, like when I look at, I'm, I'm very like word of mouth, um, person so like people who know me I I would be like hey do you have someone that you think would, would be a good fit for me and I trust that like the people who are close to me or know me on the level that I'm looking for you know would make a good referral and that's actually what's ha what has happened you know and I would say like nine out of ten not that I've had ten therapists I've probably had five over the years but four out of the five of them have been wonderful fits in different like kind of parts of my life for what I was going through and they all came from people that knew me. And so that is like something that's super close to my heart um, is like having those word of mouth referrals. That's why I like to know a lot of people in this field because a lot of people will come to me for that too and say, I'm looking for a therapist who would be a good fit for me. You know, and I talk to them and kind of know, you know, you get a sense for, for them, but usually they're people I know already. And I try to make referrals based on like, what would be a good fit for them? Um, kind of pay that forward because I feel like I've gotten really lucky too with that. Um, so if you're another therapist, you know, chances are asking another therapist that 
you feel close to for a referral for a therapist would also be a good, you know, idea. They're probably going to know you a little bit, know the style of therapists a little bit. Um, so ask your peers, you know, I think that's mm-hmm. my two cents. I feel like I'm the uncool kid, you know, you know, in, in 2023, you have never seen a therapist like, come on, you're kidding me. So yeah, I guess I need to maybe explore. I'll be your therapist. Yeah. Just kidding. Huh? Yeah. Of interest. No, no you probably put me out the first day, but <laughs> but I'd probably I, be like, we don't have, we're not doing the actual therapy. We're having fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But no, I think it it is always a good idea to explore that as an option, and and just see if there's because sometimes you think that you're not carrying um, anything in a way that's harmful to you uh, with regards to history, information, you know, challenges and such. And sometimes going to therapy will highlight things that you never really considered that might be problematic for you or maybe causing some emotional distress that you've just kind of gotten used to carrying and um, and and managing it. And so, yeah, I don't think, uh, I think I should explore that. So any referrals, any, you guys let me know. Okay. But I, I think I want a female though, a female. Okay. okay. Well, and I think kind of the golden thread through this too, is like, we were kind of talking about burnout before then, that that's usually another signal. Like if I'm not already in therapy and I was like, oh, I need to go back. Like that's a, another signal for me. And that having a therapist can help you through burnout to like identify um, kind of Kyle, I'm going to use your example of like, can I eliminate something, you know, take something off my plate or do I really need to be doing all of these things? Is this, what are the things that are adding stress and adding to the pile that's creating yeah. the burnout for me? And where can I, like, what can I do for myself? So I'm just like tying that together a little bit with like, if you're feeling burned out, find yourself a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Instead of doing like me, you know what I do when I start feeling like I'm approaching that space and I'm isolating and I'm not as productive. I email my reception staff. Um, I am not taking any more clients. Um, I am, and I change my availability. I'm only seeing clients two days a week. Like I, I have changed my schedule really yeah. every time I start to feel overwhelmed because at that point I start making room for me. Yeah. Good. That's and I think as a clinician, going to therapy made me a better clinician, a better therapist, a better person to understand and empathize with the people or persons who I'm sitting across from me. Like it really very much so allowed me to um, get in touch with my um, interpersonal personal self for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I like that. Mm-hmm. you can kind of go mm, I remember when I was there or yeah I yeah you, know, you kind of yeah. see like the not that you would say that out loud to your client but like you see the pieces of their journey it kind of where along with your journey whether they're the same or not but like oh I remember the pain that I felt when I went through this mm-hmm. it helps with that like empathy mm-hmm. piece um and I think that's that's something that's like a real authentic feeling in the room. Room could be virtual room um, when you can connect to someone like that. Speaking of connect, uh, let's talk real quick about just connecting with clients. How do you know that the connection that you have with 
your therapist or as a therapist with your clients is not one that's of a very therapeutic nature. And what do you do about it? What, not like, um, like, what do you, what do you mean? So it's not Tell helpful, me. you know, like not help, you're, you're not helping. You're working with a client. There's the client doesn't feel safe or comfortable being vulnerable with you. Uh, it's awkward. The connection just isn't there. Oh, like you're not making the connection. Okay. I'm sorry. I needed to clarify. Okay. My brain didn't jump that quickly <laughs> to the All next right. subject. <laughs> it's three o'clock. This is the time that my brain starts shutting off. <laughs> um, that's a really good question. What do I do? I mean, sometimes I, I mean, I'm very direct with my clients and I'm very open. Um, so I might, I might say it, or I might say like, I'm, you know, I'm having a hard time connecting with you. I'm wondering if it's something, you know, either in the room or something that like is preventing you from, from feeling like you can be open. Like I always kind of try to take the responsibilities. There's something I'm doing that like is preventing you from feeling open, like you can be open with me, or maybe if there's some other context that maybe I think it might be, I might draw some attention or like kind of explore that. But I would first try to see if what the barriers are, because usually there's something therapeutic underneath that, right? Like whether it be something that is going on in the room, whether it's something going on with the client, like there's something there that they can't make, they can't, I'm not blaming them, but if, if it's the, their issue that's preventing, or is it an issue in their room, you know, and I think finding that out will, is your part of your path. Mm -hmm. I think what Christine is mentioning is what we'll call broaching when those things occur within the therapeutic session. And the similar, if I, if I notice that we're not going anywhere, I'll broach that and bring up like, Hey, is there anything in regarding my identity or that will make you feel unsafe due to your lived experiences, right? I mean, working that, working through that with the client is very important. But if mm -hmm. we're just not connecting and we're just colliding, I typically will, I just go by the three R's. I'm either going to retain, refer, or release the client and talk about those things with the client. Yes. Um, and like, how are we going to move forward if we do continue this therapeutic relationship? Or here are, are a few re referrals or, well, you know, it's not our job as clinicians to work harder than the client. Um, and if they continue to cancel or not put forth the effort, then it's time to to uh, release that therapy. I was going to say, can you say those three R's again? I'm going to write this down. I'm not I'm serious. Yeah. Right. Retain, refer or release. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think and you guys tell me what you think. I think the time frame in which that connection isn't happening. Uh, I think the time makes a difference too. If you've only seen the client a few times and uh, you're not necessarily thinking that things are working, there's some effectiveness with your approach or anything like that. I think early on, it's not necessarily a situation in which you need to do something. You don't necessarily need to change something. But if you've been meeting with a client for a while and you uh, there's still no vulnerability, the client doesn't appear to be safe and they seem kind of guarded, that type of thing, then yeah, I think it's time to, to do something about that. Yeah, context definitely matters. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had that happen where it was just like, with a client, like no connection, maybe there was something bigger that was like behind that. And you just said, the, I love the three R's, the release. Like, how do you, 
get to that point where you're like, I think that this isn't working for you. I've, I've had to do it a couple of times that were, you know, hard conversations to have. Mm-hmm. I usually refer to the initial assessment and also treatment goals. And I will basically tell the client that I don't see that they're making any progress. And I may mention that I think that I may be able to find somebody that might be a better fit that might be able to better help you uh, more so than I can or that I have and asking them how they feel about that. What are their thoughts? Same, Carmel, same. Just working, working with them through that, through that process, because at the end of the day, it's free will and they have a Mm -hmm. choice or decision if they want to stay. Mm -hmm. Um, But who wants to be in a therapeutic session pulling teeth and, and just asking question after question and the client is not giving um but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we're not dentists <laughs> <laughs> no, pulling. Like <laughs> no pulling teeth yeah don't want to work harder than your client i like that rule so what do you guys how do you guys handle clients that want to bring their significant others or like maybe you've been seeing the client for a while as an individual and they want to start bringing uh you know significant others or their children or just other uh, friends and family members into their sessions with them Hmm. interesting (laughs) i'd say why i'd say why why do you want to do that like i'm open to it but i i want to understand what the goal is for it and if it is tied to something for the client that's going to be helpful, I'm open um, to a point to make sure that it's not becoming about the unit. Um, your client is always your client. If they come in as a couple, if they come in as a family, like that's who you're treating or an individual, that's who you're treating. Um, if they want to bring someone else in, I wa- I just try to make sure it's uh, to support the goals that we currently have for the client. Yeah. Yeah. In my experience, it's been uh, someone that maybe I've worked with for a while and uh, they've kind of honed in on their relationship, let's say maybe with their adult children. And there's some ongoing conflict there. And we've worked through the to the point that we can without the children present. And sometimes they'll come in and say, hey, you know, what do you think about my bringing my son or daughter into my next session with me so that we can maybe have them be a part of my treatment and to help me with tools. Maybe you can notice the dynamics that we have, give some suggestions uh, or give them the opportunity to tell them what their concerns are with me. Maybe you will hear them in a way that I haven't, things like that. Or uh, sometimes it's a matter of maybe their spouse or their partner that uh, maybe their relationship has been uh, experiencing some ongoing conflict and we've talked through that or worked through that uh, throughout multiple sessions. And sometimes they want to bring that person in with them uh, to see if there's some way that they can get some tools to work together to resolve some of the things independent of me outside of the session. That's usually when people try to bring someone in. Mm-hmm. And, and for myself, it's I'm open to bringing 
uh, other family members into the session, the same as what Carmel stated, if it's along the, the treatment plan or if it's assisting the client in, um, in healing in that area of their life perfectly fine but if you're if this is going to turn into couples counseling or family counseling we need to do a referral because that's not what what this is for um, at the moment the but, three r's yeah the three r's <laughs> three r's retain release retain, i can't read my own handwriting release. refer yeah retain refer and release can't read my own handwriting y'all it's okay um, this could be like a whole segment or a whole other show. I feel like in itself, like the, what do you do in these weird situations? Cause they happen all the time, Yes. right? Like I supervise and it happens every single week in all my supervisions. Like I had this thing come up that they don't teach you about in grad school. And until you come into that, you know, kind of, Hey, can I bring my so-and-so into session, you know, um, and sometimes that so-and-so is dog. I've had someone ask me if they can bring their dog into session. And it's like things like that, like all these small nuanced things that are good topics to talk about. I feel like we could do a whole show on that. Yeah, mm -hmm. certainly. certainly. Maybe we should. Maybe we should ask people to write in their nuanced situations, their their situations that they've happened, have had happen. And we can talk about like, what would we do? You know what? Better yet, if you are listening to this podcast and you would like to send in questions to ask Carmel, Kyle, and Christine, please feel free to email the podcast. Yeah. Are you going to say our email? Because I had to just look it up because I couldn't remember it. Are you going to say it? <laughs> it's uh, ilcounselingpodcast at gmail.com is our email. ilcounselingpodcast at gmail.com if you would like to write in and let us know what you want to know about, talk about, or those situations. Yeah. Yeah. So exciting. Very. Yeah. This was great. Yes. Love yeah. talking with you two. I feel like I could talk to you two forever. Same. I'm yeah. so excited that we're all going to be together at the ICA conference this year in November. I know um, the 75th Illinois Counseling Association conference. It's going to oh. Extremely exciting. I didn't know it was the seventy fifth. That that's mm -hmm. a long time. So it's the seventy fifth conference, but not the seventy fifth year of the ICA, right? Or is it both? And Doctor Goodwin, you're presenting. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're yeah. going to be presenting on and how people would benefit from attending your workshop at the conference? Yes, I will. thank you, Carmel. I will be presenting Friday morning at 9.15 to 10.15. And the title of my presentation is um, Mental Health in Christianity, um, the Voices of the Black Negro American um, Experience. Um, and my discussion and research and topic will be talking about just the progression of mental health within Black Christians. Um, and also, it will just go over historical context of what it means to be a Black Negro in America and what that looks like within the field of mental health, um, how Black Negroes were treated throughout the time historically, and how that ties into spirituality, but then also not just spirituality, um, yet the construct of mental health. 
Um, and so I'll talk about all those things and then talk about how uh, I conducted a research study with participants, a narrative qualitative research study, um, and talk about the implications on what counselor educators can do within their classrooms, as well as what we all are able to do as clinicians when counseling Black Negro Christians. Wow, this is awesome. I do not want to miss this workshop. What prompted your interest in this particular topic? Um, so it was for my uh, dissertation uh, within my, to complete my doctoral uh, studies. What prompted that was just my own identity. It's my insider as a researcher, as uh, a Black man who um, is also a faith believer of Christianity, but um, knowing how historically just the medical apartheid of, of Black Negroes within America and how injustices has been a being brought about when it comes to us and in, in the field of mental health and psychology and just not that but how um, systems have impacted us and how those systems of enslavement still show up um, in not just systems of regarding education and medicine but then also how that impacts us um, within the church and our families um, and how we view mental health as Christians on yet we just only solely going to Jesus or or the church or our pastor yet you can also believe in Christianity and believe in Jesus and yet also have a therapist because it coincide um, and I typically think about when Christ says um, make my burden easy and lighter or whatever the verse is in the book of Matthew I think about how as the church we are here to lift one another up and um, and how important that is to do. You're even more amazing than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I was just waiting for her response. I'm like, is this real? Like, seriously? This yeah. is great. So <laughs> who's the target audience? Who do you want sitting mm -hmm. in those seats in your workshop? I think I I, I want everyone. Uh, the, the simplicity in the way that I had written the research was for just the person whom is at the basic reading level who can pick up this um, dissertation and read about it. Um, and so anyone from the community, anyone who's a clinician, anyone who's a counselor educator would be able to open up the, the research study, open up the dissertation and be able to read and connect to it. So I had chosen along this journey not to colonize my writing yet to just connect with the people as the best way as possible. Yeah. Well, awesome. sign me up. I will be there. <laughs> yes, I'm Friday, be there. Friday, the first sessions um, at the 75th um, Illinois Counseling Association from 9.15 to 10.15 is when I'll be presenting. Great. Thank you We're so much. We're excited to come and support. I'll have a poster in the back of your room to just <laughs> embarrass you and antagonize you and make you nervous. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of great presentations. Um, we're, yes. we're looking forward to seeing the three of us there. And I think we're going to do some cool little live podcast stuff. If, uh, I don't know if that's been approved yet. So we'll have to maybe cut that part out if it has not been approved. Not been approved. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Goodwin just gave his stamp of approval. Yes. <laughs> Dr. Goodwin made it happen. So come find us at the conference. We're going to be doing some, some cool live podcast recordings um 
and we're looking forward to seeing everyone. Hopefully our listeners will be there and making some new friends. Yes, yes. Yeah. This is exciting. And and don't forget, even if you attend Friday for the conference, please feel free to attend the award ceremony that evening as well. Yeah. Oh, I thanks. always forget there's now an award ceremony. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, don't yeah. Do, don't be like me last year. And and Dr. Goodwin <laughs> just I just found out this week that I didn't look very happy whenever I uh, arrived last year at the award ceremony. I didn't know that. I apologize for anybody else that had that observation, but you know, I'll do better this year. <laughs> well, that's because you were on an award and you were probably caught off guard. Uh, what was the award that you won last year? Human Rights Award. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. And that's so cool. Like just a little added tidbit that the ICA does do awards. I actually had a couple emails in my email today that I haven't gotten to reminding you to nominate people for different awards um and that makes it fun when you when you know people who are involved and you can be there to support them so we're looking forward to seeing all of our members and non-members and just ICA conference participants uh this year so we'll see you there hopefully all and, right uh, thanks for listening goodbye bye we'll Have see you at the day. conference bye